Esther Felice once said that God meets us where we're at, not where we pretend to be. And in a lot of ways, that is beautiful. Because like you, I am grateful that God meets me where I'm at when I am lost and hurting and broken. In fact, we didn't find Jesus. He searched for us. And He found us when we were utterly lost. And so in one way, that is beautiful, that God doesn't meet us where we pretend to be. He meets us where we're at. But there's another side of that identical coin, which is it's not only beautiful, but it's also humbling. That sometimes in love, God meets us not where we pretend to be, but where we're at. And He brings loving correction to our hearts and to our lives through primarily His Word. That the written Word of God from Genesis to Revelation reveals the living Word of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, there may be a bit of both of those things occur. Because we are going to speak or continue to speak on generosity Because the largest gap of generosity is from our heads to our hands. That generosity isn't only something, and I'm going to tilt today towards a North American stronghold or problem in the area of finances. And as soon as I said that, some of you like clinched right up. But I understand that. I really do. Because generosity isn't just an ethereal thing. Like, I think I'm a generous person. It can actually be measured in our lives. And that is beautiful, and it's also daunting. You know, as a lead pastor of Life Center, whether it's here or online in Cornwall, in Canada, and Lord willing, in the season ahead downtown, I do dream, a continued dream, since the beginning of our church, that one day we'd be able to say that we are a debt-free church. I need you to know the building that you're sitting in is completely mortgage-free. But until the people of God are free, we are not debt-free. But in order for that dream to become a vision and vision to become reality, we need to sometimes lean into places of discomfort. And I do so with tenderness and grace, but equal truth. When Life Center talks about generosity and a value of generosity, this is what we are speaking about, that we give generously with joy, that our generosity is a reflection of our love. It's never just a percentage or a duty, but truly is a delight that we start where others stop. No, not in comparison, but understanding that we've got to push into this as a church. Because we believe that generosity changes lives, whether it's 7,913 pounds of food, or whether we're offering that we just received, or tithes that we just received, or whether it is that you walk by somebody who is downtown and you are homeless, and you don't just pass them by, but you walk by and pray and say, God, is there something that you want me to do? Generosity changes lives. It changes our lives, and it changes the lives of those whom, whom we are a blessing toward. And here's the truth, though, that some of us are being robbed today. Some of us are being robbed today because we need a a fuller revelation of what it means to steward 100% of what God puts into our hands. And others of you are are being robbed, but here's the thing. You're You're not being robbed of your salvation, but you may be being robbed of purpose. You may be being robbed of destiny, and you may 
being robbed because when you look at your bank balance, everything is okay, but it's not about looking at your bank balance. It's also looking about how we live our lives, how we're being discipled, and who are we becoming. Because this is 2019, I need to start this message by telling you what I'm not saying before I actually get to what it is that I want to say. I'm going to put the fine print up front. This is the pace I'm going to speak at today with the exception of maybe a moment or two because I don't want to shout at you. I just want to talk with you. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told an uh, an outstanding parable called the parable of the talents. We're not going to read it this morning, but it is absolutely in and through all that I am teaching today. I want to teach this as honestly as I understand from Scripture as it is a deep value in conviction. You may be sitting here today saying, sure, you're about to talk about tithing and giving because it's self-serving. You get paid from here. You're right. So let's get that out of the way. All that I ask is that you have that belief consistent in everywhere in your life, not only when you walk through the doors of a church. Because lots of people have jobs. If you work in the government, then I could return the saying to you that you, you are getting paid from what I give. And I don't give joyfully. I don't have a choice. <laughs> if somebody buys a widget or whatever, you, you are paying their salary by buying their phone or their product. It's only products or services. But the truth is that we live in a profit and loss world. But the kingdom is not profit and loss. It is sowing and it's reaping. It is a different king in a different kingdom, but we live fully in both worlds. In both worlds want to disciple us. And so I believe that generosity is hard because it is holy. Things in our lives that are holy are often very, very hard. It's not difficult to watch and click on whatever you want on a computer. It's very difficult when the Holy Spirit puts His finger, now the battle is on not to click what you once clicked. Not to watch what you want once you watched, once you once watched. See, generosity is very much in the same vein, that it's hard because it's holy. See, generosity, I believe, principled giving, is a vital step in trusting Jesus to not only love us, but to lead us. And I would like to say to you this morning that your generosity and God's love are not in competition with one another. That whether you nail this principle or it remains a struggle, God's love for you is constant because He isn't just good, He's amazing. However, this isn't an issue about salvation, but it is about your purpose. It is about who God has created us to be and what ways are we being discipled and formed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about the extraordinary, extraordinary generosity that actually blew him away of a series of very poor churches in Macedonia in contrast to the churches in Corinth. These churches in Macedonia were incredibly generous with the little that they had, whereas the church in Corinth had an abundance and was not as generous as these churches in Macedonia. And Paul does not compare them to play off one another, but he highlights a very, very, very profound principle, and it is this. It is not just a Christian principle. It is a Canadian principle, an American principle. The more abundance one has, if you watch someone, the more they earn, the less they give proportionate to what they earn. The most 
generous Canadians are not those who make the most. And I'm not here this morning, however, to create class warfare. No, 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 a thousand times no. I'm not here to pit one against the other. That's not how God works. And so Paul is speaking here to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 80, he says, I'm going to read it from the message. So I'm going to and say, woo. Here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. So as much as things have changed, they haven't really changed. Good intentions can grow stale. They can get stuck in our heads or stuck in our hearts and never show up to our hands. Your heart's been in the right place all along. It's not a heart problem. You've got what it takes to finish it up, so go, go to it. Once the commitment is clear, once the commitment is clear, you do what you can and not what you can't. The heart regulates the hands. Paul is saying that the heart of generosity is not merely a command. In other words, we see it as a law in the Old Testament, but the law was actually meant to give way to love. The law shows us how much we need God in our hearts and lives to surface our hearts and most importantly, surface our need of God. So the heart of generosity is not a command. It's evidence of God's love in and through our lives. What kind of authority do I have to speak on the topic of giving and generosity this morning? Well, in 1995, when Lori and I first married, um, we had a combined income of just under $40,000, combined. And we had some of Lori's school debt to pay off, and we racked up credit card debt of about $5,000. Turn the person beside you and say, that's not too bad. Well, it is significant when you're making combined less than $40,000. And we recognized that we had a couple of problems. And this morning I share nothing with guilt, shame, or condemnation whatsoever, but I recognized we had a couple of problems. One is that we were being formed and fashioned in one way by the church and by what God's Word teaches, said more appropriately, but we were equally being formed and fashioned by the culture in which we live. Because the culture in which we lived gave, this, gave us this card that said we could have it when we want it. And this card, um, this, this card of credit was a gift from the Emperor Visa. <laughs> or MasterCard, or American Express, or whatever else you want to insert there. And so again, we racked up about $5,000 worth of credit card debt. And then the fine print kicked in. Because at the end of the month, we had more owing to Mr. Visa than we did money. Uh, Mr. Visa said, well, that's not really a problem. Don't worry. We can leave your balance there. The only thing is we're going to begin to add to it just a little bit, not too much, just 22, just 22% a month. Not, listen, hey, hey, I got your back. <laughs> so that which we bought for $100 all of a sudden began to increase. You see what I'm saying? So we did what? We, we had understood to do is we took our credit cards and we literally put them in Ziploc bags and we put them in the freezer. We weren't ready to cut them up yet because we weren't that courageous. But we put them on ice. And the next thing we did is we fixed our first. And so we began tithing 10% to our local church. At the time, we weren't in ministry. And then we began to learn how to steward the remaining 90% effectively. 
because at that point we weren't stewarding it effectively. And I wish I could tell you from 1995 or when we fixed our first until, I mean, Lori had the principle, I had it and I lost and I had it. But when we fixed our first, I wish I could tell you it was a perfect trajectory, but I can't tell you that. We made some financial mistakes along the way. We put our credit card away and then the bank came along and they did not give us a credit card. They gave us something different called a line of credit. Mm -hmm. And the same thing that happened with our credit card happened over there. And so one day we said, we can't live this way anymore. So it wasn't a perfect progression, but it was growing. Do you know that as a church together, we tithe 10% as well? Because we believe in it. Fast forward to 2019. Here we are today. I'm speaking to you this morning. Uh, Our first remains fixed. So on our Life Center website, I use something called recurring giving. Um, Not that you watch me, I don't think you do, nor should you ever do that, but if you ever say, how come he's never putting anything in the basket when it goes by? Well, I give every, we give together, Lori and I give every Thursday through the website, but I asked Pastor Gabe, um, what are the percentages on there? So if I'm going to use that service, how much does Life Center get if I use that? And he gave me the the amount, it was 2.2% or whatever that was taken off, so I calculated it because I want to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So I figured out that and I give all of that. And so we do it every second Thursday. We fixed our first. And then over the years, we've also figured out how to use this thing called a, it's a bad word, brace yourself for it. We've used, we've learned how to use a budget. A budget is not restricting your spending. A budget is actually you and I knowing where to spend and where we are spending. There's nothing worse at the end of a month looking at your money saying, where did it all go? If you track all of your spending, a budget says there's where it went. And sometimes that's okay because it was an intentional choice. Other times it's, Lord, our, Lord have mercy. Our kids are eating us out of house and home. <laughs> and that's okay too. So last year... We fixed our first. Just what authority do I have? And our tithe was 11%, and our offerings were 2%. So our, on the gross of our income, turn the person beside you and say, that's gross. <laughs> on the gross of our income, we gave 13% away as a tithe. And every year, I prepare a document that goes to our pastor's council, your board, voluntarily. Because here's why. I want them to know that in the area of financial integrity, I want them to know that if I speak on this subject, I'm putting it into practice. We live in a day and a culture where far too many leaders say things that they're never going to privately do. This could lead us to the act of the elections, but it's not. (laughs) We're going to keep going. I also want you to know this morning that I understand that this topic leads right into the culture of a stronghold, which is the church is all about your money. It isn't, and nor is Jesus. It's about your heart. And Jesus says it's one or the other, not my words, his. I also want you to know that this value has come at a cost. The hardest leadership decisions over the last 12 years that you ever have to make or I ever have to make, excuse me, at Life Center are when individuals are loved publicly, but privately there are things that we are working through that you will never see. And this is an area of personal integrity. When I first became a minister, my father sat me down and he gave me this speech of the three G's. 
he said, Jason, and he, when he sat down with girls, he explained it differently, as you'll see in a moment. But he said, there are three things that you're never to touch. Don't touch the gold, don't touch the glory, and don't touch the girls. Because as a minister, the only thing I have is moral authority. The CEO of a company is different. But for me, that's all we have. And so if he sits down with the girls, it's don't touch the guys, the gold, the glory. And so some team members at Life Center who will after lots of grace, or no longer team members because they couldn't win this area. There's something about standing up and receiving an offering, and if you're not participating in it, it rings hollow and it blocks heavens, and there's issues of authority within it. You ready? There's two things. There's two things. One is a practice, and one is a truth that can change your life in the area of generosity. The first is if you fix your first. And the second is this truth. You, can, you can't have it when you want it. You can only have it when you afford it, when you can afford it. You can't have it when you want it. You can only have it when you can afford it, dot, dot, dot. And that may mean you can never have it. Is God enough? And the second thing we also have to look at is, you know, in... 12 years, I'm sure if I went back and asked Pastor Barry from the beginning of the church, maybe he has. I never have. I have never in my life had anybody ever confess to the sin of greed. Yet the sin of greed is one of the dominant strongholds in a North American lifestyle. In Canada, we do not have an income problem. We have an income inequality problem. What's at the heart of it? Policy? No. The Scripture says go deeper. It's greed. And here's all I know. You and I will never buy our way out of greed. Greed's back is only broken through the practice of generosity. And so the hands of generosity in Scripture are always twofold, stewardship and giving. I should have told you it's going to be very quiet in here this morning. Pastor Robert Morris in the book Beyond Blessed, which we have, I think, in the foyer or in the cafe uh, for sale. It's a great, helpful book. It's a really helpful book for you to pick up. He says this, trying to be more generous without also becoming a prudent manager or a steward of your resources, especially money, is like trying to run a race with one foot nailed to the floor. It will be painful, exhausting, frustrating, and fruitless. So in my 46 years, here's what I've learned when it comes to the hands of generosity, that this is a 100% conversation that has a 10% starting point, that you can nail the 10% starting point, but if we mismanage the remaining 90%, then we will never walk in the abundance that God has for us. And look, I also understand that my context is not your context. There are many of you who not only support your life and your family here, you may be supporting a life or multiple lives back home, somewhere else. That's not my reality. That is your reality. So there's lots of conversation within here. But a few Sundays ago, we shared the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And there is this single, single variable that changed Zacchaeus when he met Jesus, that not only was Zacchaeus searching for God, but God was searching for him. And in the story in Luke chapter 19, when Zacchaeus' house, including his financial house, was in complete mess 
and disorder, here's what I want you to know. Jesus still showed up in his house. Why do I say that? Because at this point in the message, if your financial house isn't in order and feels like a mess, you can be feeling shame or you can be feeling condemnation. And as your pastor, I want to put my foot right to the back and give it a Jesus-sized kick square in the center of its eyes. Because nothing good grows out of shame. And I'm not here to shame you whatsoever. Jesus shows up into the house of Zacchaeus when it was out of order, but here's what I want you to know. When Jesus and Zacchaeus walked out of the house, that which was ordered out of order, something happened to his heart that showed up in his hands, and an out-of-order house became in order in a day. Because when you meet with the source, capital S, source, it gives you a different perspective on your stuff. One day I met somebody in business here who had been coming to Life Center for three weeks. He said, I love, I love this church. I said, that's fantastic to hear. He said, there's only one problem. If you ever speak about money, I'm leaving. And in love, I said, well, that's going to be a problem because we receive an offering every week. And then I asked him just a simple question because he said, so he was either saying that to me in one of two things. There was either pain in a story that I didn't yet know or he was prejudiced. Because I just, I don't want to try to figure out which one it was. And so I just asked him, well, in your line of business, you offer a service. Yes? Yes. Do you, do you charge for that service? Yes. Do you ever just give your service away for free? No, never. Do you charge a percentage for your service? Yes, 5%. I said, Okay. Uh, here's what I want you to know at Life Center. Uh, we also provide a service. But you're welcome to come here for 25 or 30 years and never give a dime. And we'll never shut these doors. Now, do we take off Bible school classes and things that have fees attached to them? Sure we do. But if you ever talk with Pastor Jeff or whomever that that is ever the obstacle, we will absolutely remove that hurdle so that you can take a step. Because our heart isn't to take it is to build. And he, he no longer comes to Life Center, that individual. He didn't like that question, so that was okay. Here's what Jesus said. Forget what I said. Jesus taught a clear reality that we either see ourselves as owners or stewards. No servant can serve two masters. No servant can serve two masters. No servant can serve two masters. So, isn't that right away offensive? You are not going to be the exception to this, by the way. And Jesus calls us servants. So we don't have to become stewards. We already are stewards. So no servant can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve both worlds. At some point, you're in one and serving one and not the other. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says, or Paul says, excuse me, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Everyone say, who you obey. God gives us a choice. Oftentimes, taxes and visa don't. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Exodus chapter 13, verse 14, talking about these offerings that they were to bring as, as acts of worship unto God. 
It says, and when the time to come, your son asks you. So there is a generational power in life and generosity, and there is a generational stronghold of greed. Both can be passed on to the next generation. Because kids pick up not what is taught or what is just said, but what is caught. They can see it. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. The Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. God's heart in stewardship and generosity is freedom for all of our hearts and lives. One of the things that Jesus said that I wish he didn't say, as I alluded to a moment ago, is that all of us are already stewards. We're either good stewards or we're bad stewards. Now, I wish Jesus also in Matthew 25 didn't say it that way. I wish he said you were either a good steward or you are a steward in training. I wish he said that you were a good steward or you're a try-hard. But you see, generosity is not about trying harder. It is about trusting deeper. It's different. And so stewardship is if you look at 100% right now of all that God has put into your hands, there is one thing that we have in common this morning that every single one of us have the same amount of time in a given day. Every single one of us. Social media will convict many of us when we stand before the Lord one day and say, I didn't have time. Not meant as guilt, just reality. In August, I felt the Holy Spirit, well, in July, I felt the Holy Spirit put His finger on an area of my life that I've made a lot of jokes about over the years. But it was the stewardship of my body. You know, I used to always joke that, you know, I, I hate working out, and as soon as I pick up something heavy, the next thing I want to do is find a quick way to put it down. <laughs> but since August, four to five times a week, I've been getting my butt to the gym. Why? Because I was really tired most days. And I don't want to have a great life to 46. I want to have it beyond the best of my ability. I know I don't control those things. That for me and for you, my life may be five more weeks long or 50 years more long. I don't have a clue. But all I know is that God put his finger on an area of my heart and life and said, it's time to clean up this area of your life. So hi-ho, hi-ho, off to the gym I go. And so stewardship is not only finances, it's all of our lives. But there's something pivotal about finances, again, because we cannot, as followers of Jesus, say that you are Lord and He's not Lord of our wallet. It doesn't ring authentic. That He's Lord of everything else except our time, our wallet, then He's not Lord. He's Savior wholeheartedly, but He just isn't Lord, as long as we're honest about that. And so stewardship is putting God first in everything because He loves and then redeems the rest. Stewardship is with gratitude I receive all that God puts into my hands, all time, all talent, and all treasure. How much talent? That's debatable. I am, like many of you, a purple participation-riven person. I never got a first, second, or third. Well, one time I did, but I think it was by accident. We did long jump on the grass, and I jumped with my whole heart, and I was wearing white shorts, and my feet came out, and my butt hit the grass, and I slid. And because we were on grass, I don't think they could mark it, but my, my butt was marked for about a week with the grass stains, and my tailbone felt it, and I got first place because I slid on my behind right farthest than anyone else. But if it was in sand, I would have got a purple participation ribbon. 
You will not stand before God with what He did not put into your hands, but you will stand before God with what He has put into your hands. You're not called to give like anybody else. You're called to give what He's put into your hands. You're called with your time, your talents, and your treasure. And time is not the same in every season of life. Okay, so we give, we steward faithfully what He's entrusted to us. And we hold His blessings with an open hand. Everyone say an open hand. And we give as He directs. We give as He directs. So stewardship is the air in my lungs, which is a gift. Stewardship is the grace that I have received. Stewardship is the nation that I live in. Stewardship is the power to vote tomorrow, not the laziness to stay home. Stewardship is absolutely God. All that you, turn the person beside you and say, oh, we slid that in pretty good there. Stewardship is entrusting all of these things, including our finances. See, what's one of the problems with debt? The thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. What does debt do? Debt robs you not of often today. It robs you of a future tomorrow. That a decision that you made today robs you of an opportunity tomorrow. And so God's heart is that we would steward the whole thing. No guilt, no shame. So let's talk about giving and then some specific ways, and we're going to close. There was a man one day who was going away, and he gave, um, he, so he found another, there was no e-transfers in these days, and so he, he, he gave another man and said, listen, I'm going to give you $100 every single month, and all I want you to do is give $10 to my wife. I've got to go away on business. So I'm going to give you 100 bucks. I'm going to give you a job, 100 bucks. All I want you to do is give $10 to my wife. That's all I want you to do. Just, and then the rest of the 90, I don't care what you do with it. Turn the person beside you and say, where is this man? <laughs> and so the man went away. He went away for a long time. And he came back. And he found the man. And the man had been faithfully giving his wife $1 and keeping 99 for himself. And the man said, look, I gave you 100 bucks. I just asked 10 then you can do whatever you want with the 90. Well, Jesus entrusts to you and I 100% of what is in our lives. And all he asks is that we just take care of his bride with 10. And we can do whatever we want with the remaining 90. See, in this moment, what surfaced in your heart, what surfaced was, are you a steward or are you an owner? Do you view all that you've entrusted like it's mine, I work for it. Jesus doesn't work for it, I work for it. Or do you entrust that no, everything in my life is given to me as a gift? Does the story of the scripture start with you or does it start with in the beginning God and then from God we get to us? Is the, is the way you read the Bible through the lens of you or is it about who God is and we partner there? So giving in Malachi 3 verse 10 to 12 is bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That's the local church. I'm going to read it as honestly as I can from my perspective that there may be food in my house, and therefore I put me to the test, says the Lord. So tithing is both a test and it's a trust. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down, everyone say pour down, a blessing until there is no need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil. The vine of your field shall not bear. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now some of you say, well, why are you reading from the book of 
Malachi. Why in the world are you in the Old Testament? You didn't keep any of the other stuff. Why are you just keeping that? That's pretty self-serving. Because honestly, I really don't think you want us to get to the New Testament. Because if we get to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, the early church would put most churches to shame. They didn't give 10%. They gave all they had. And as soon as we go to the New Testament, we, all of us would go like, okay, let's just go back to the Old Testament. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay over here. And if we look at Jesus, no, Jesus left heaven to come to earth Well, did Jesus tithe? Yeah, his entire life. Left home, became homeless. Son of man has nowhere even to lay my head. He's not asking us to do that. I move on. Giving is, we give generously. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. We give sacrificially. I will not offer a burnt offering, David said, that cost me nothing. There's a, there's a cost to this. Um, we, we, we give cheerfully. Everyone say, yeah, right. We give cheerfully that God loves a cheerful giver. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 10. We give secretly. In Matthew 6, verse 24, giving is done in secret. Right? We don't shout it from the rooftops. I gave a hundred bucks this morning. You know what Jesus would say? Well, I'll paraphrase. A, you're really annoying. <laughs> and B, I don't do that because now that's your reward. What I had for you was better if you just would have shut up. But now it's reward. It's all about you. And you, it's all this is for me. No, no, die to that stuff so that I can give you something better that's just between me and you. We give regularly. Now, for some of you, that's you've got a stable income or a, a salary, and you can structure that. For others of you who are on commission, then you have to figure that out. It's, it's different. Who do we give to? Well, we give to the local church, which is the bride of Christ, It's 10%, which comes from Malachi, continued in the book of Matthew, continued in the life of Jesus, continued in the book of Acts, and seen all the way through. But we also give to the spread of the gospel. I think we're on great ground there. And we also give to protect, protect vulnerable people and to help people out of poverty. This is offerings. There's ways in which we use our lives to make a Jesus-sized difference. 10% for me is not the end point. It's the starting point. Gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to be so living a life where you could reverse tithe and live on 10% and give away 90? What a joy and privilege and game that would be to walk around saying, God, nobody is safe from being blessed while I'm walking around. Turn to the person beside you and say, I want to find that person. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Seek first, fix your first, and then all these things. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Sorry, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then there's something interesting that Jesus says here. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be. Everyone say, will be. Isn't that interesting? For where your treasure is, where our finances is, there your heart will be also. And so every two weeks, I put my treasure where I want my heart to be. And if I hold my treasure, I find that that's where my heart will be. So I fix my first. Jesus calls us to fix our first. Tithing is a test, and it's a tenth. 
It's fixing our first and it's settling my treasure where I want my heart, where we want our hearts to have their home. And giving also systemically breaks the back of greed and keeps our feet rooted in the soil of generosity. So stewardship is seeing God as the giver of all things and me as the steward of what he's put into my hands. Giving is fixing my first, which is the tithe, and then the offerings are above that, growing into it. It's fixing my first, and then learning how to steward the rest. And it takes faith every single time we engage it. Some months, more than others. Final story as we close. There was a boy by the name of John. And he played the board game, Life. Uh, Some of you don't know what a board game is. It's literally a game in a box that you take out, and there's a board. It's not an app. It's a board. You put pieces on it. Some of you didn't know. Anyways, he played this game called the Game of Life. And every year, his grandmother that they played together, and John and his grandmother played, she'd clean his clock And then she would mercilessly, like, rub it in his face. Nice, Grandma. And year after year, she'd clean his clock and rub it in his face and clean his clock and rub it in his face and et cetera, et cetera. Until he was about 16 years of age, about. And one day, playing the game of life, he beat his grandmother. He cleaned her clock. He wiped her out. And he rubbed it in her face because this has been a buildup of years waiting to get grandma back. Respectfully, but yet still wholeheartedly, he rubbed it in grandma's face. And grandma smiled and took every bit of it and quieted down. And she looked at him and said this, John, this has been a principle I've been waiting to teach you for the past 12, 15 years. John, You won the game of life. Congratulations. Now understand this. It all goes back in the box. John, one day, you're going to die like I'm going to die. And all this stuff doesn't go in the box. But you, it all goes in the box. All that matters at that moment So what did you do with Jesus? And what did you do with all that he has entrusted to you? And then she said to him, John, I want you to win at the game of life. And so remember, it's not about what you accumulate on this side. It's remembering at the end of my life, all that goes in the box. Has anybody here in their life ever seen a hearse going down the road? Anybody? Has anybody ever seen a U-Haul attached to said Hearst? (laughs) No. And so the word of the Lord for our hearts is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No guilt, no shame. Just want you to be fully free in Christ. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, it would be my honor to pray. Thank you for allowing me to lean into discomfort this morning. May Jesus bless you and may he keep you. We're dismissed.